practice. No way out. You and me. You can have any type of match you want. Hell in the cell. Oh, my God. But I want your career on the line. You put your title on the line. You got a deal. The game will make Cactus Jack. Hell in the cell. And Cactus must win. The WWF Power Cactus career is over. I will get through Hell in a Cell. And I will go on to WrestleMania. Because it's meant to be. My dream, Cactus Jack, is to be in the World Wrestling Federation without you in it. I will guarantee that I will go up to the top of the cage and fly off. But it won't be a damn table. I crash through hell in the cell. It will be your body. I will end your 15-year career. And it will be over. Hell in the cell will be the damnedest thing you've ever seen. This was a war. A war. A war. Hello and welcome to February's Kicking It Old School, Mixing It Up and Going Back to the Original Format for one month only, edition of Wrestling 20 Years Ago. We are doing a combined WWF and WCW show, like the old days. And yes, as you can tell by the dulcet tones, I'm not Rory, it's Lacey. And I am joined by Mr. WWF, Mr. Christopher White. How the devil are we, sir? I'm very well, how are you doing? Spiffing, old boy. And new and stepping up to the land of Atlanta, Mr. WCW, Mr. Eric Landstrom. How the devil are we, sir? The king is dead. Long live WCW. (laughs) So we will address the elephant in the room and the reason why the podcast is late this month and the reason we're doing it the way we are this month. Um, Rory has left the show. Um, we got a email from him at the back end of February, uh, basically saying that he, uh, due to life commitments and everything else, uh, can no longer commit to the show. Um, so we have been in a little bit of a state of flux to get February done for you and going forward Eric is stepping up and taking over responsibilities on the WCW show so we will still have as of next month back to the usual theme of three shows a month um, and it will be the usual format as always so it obviously does just take this time to thank Rory for what he has done um, over the past year and a half or so or two years even, uh, since Bob stood down. Um, you know, between me, Chris, and Rory, obviously we kept the, the ship going and did everything with it. So, you know, in the faithful words of a WWF loss, we wish him best in his future endeavours. So with that being said, we will start the show with our Fed coverage. Mr White, I hear you have some news for us. Yeah, I uh, certainly do. Before I get into it, I'd just like to say on, on the air as well, uh, if, if well, maybe he'll listen to the show, but Rory, it was always a pleasure uh, recording podcasts with you and interacting with you and planning everything with you, and I feel like I made a really good friend out of it. So, yeah, just like to echo Lacey's thoughts on uh, good good luck and well wishes for your future and uh, hope to see you around Um but with that said, into the WWF news for February. Um, 
Vince McMahon made some big sports and business headlines early in the month as he announced that he would be starting his own professional football league called the XFL. It's currently scheduled to start in February of the year 2001, and uh, each team will be set to play 10 games, uh, and the season will end with championship playoffs in April. After the announcement, the WWF stock took a huge hit, um, and the business world was uh, none too pleased. Doesn't seem too keen on the announcement, um, but we'll be sure to keep you updated with all future developments related to the XFL as it pertains to uh, Vince McMahon and generally affecting WWF business moving forward. Uh, in some more positive WWF business news, uh, the company, in uh, for which is great for me and Lacey, uh, signed a new five-year contract with Sky Sports in the UK for uh, over $35 million. Um, it's due to start in May, and we'll see the station... Uh, being provided with 440 hours of WWF programming per year, including SmackDown, Raw, Live Wire, Superstars, Metal, and eight pay-per-view events, as well as WWF Classics. Obviously, we get our other four pay-per-view events uh, and uh, Heat, I believe, on uh, Channel 4. But uh, the WWF here to stay in a prominent, prominent position on UK TVs. And finally, some uh, injury updates on the WWF side of things. At the top of the card, uh, Austin did an interview. He estimates that he'll be back in three to four months. But he also said that if he felt he couldn't go full speed, he wouldn't be coming back at all. Um, and The Undertaker, little update here. He suffered a torn peck, and he is rumoured to be out for at least another four months. Uh, at the moment, it looks like plans are for... Taker to return as one of the top faces in the promotion, so it'd be interesting to see how 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 that uh, plays out uh, in four months or so. But yeah, maybe back for sort of SummerSlam season. Um, Chris, anything anything uh, back over to you for from the the news there you'd like to weigh in on? So first things first, obviously, I'm glad that Sky Sports are still having the pay per views because anyone that watched the Royal Rumble over here. And the awfully placed adverts was, uh, yeah, it wasn't a great watching experience, especially when the signal cut out halfway through the rumble. Had to wait for uh, finding a way of watching it elsewhere when you sort of lose about 20 minutes of it. But, you know, it's good to have it all on TV. And the fact we're now getting SmackDown. So, you know, no more trying to find it illicitly through tape trading. Um, as for obviously that injury news, obviously Austin coming back, if it is that quick, that is quite a quick return. But obviously if he is, he, I do have to say I'm very happy that he said if he's not going to be able to come back and be full, fully fit that he wouldn't come back because it's the last thing we want is someone to you know be permanently fucked up. Um, and Taker is a good guy after his way that he left with Big Show and the snakes in the desert talk wonder what they're going to do with that you know unholy super satan gimmick into good guy it's vince he'll do something um but the xfl okay obviously we we're not a big nfl country over here you know football is a proper game that's played with your feet and a round ball not rugby with pads but 
what is it that Vince is going to do to separate himself from the established NFL that's going to actually make people want to continue watching football? So, yeah, that you said they're sort of starting in February, which is obviously after the the normal NFL season finishes. Obviously, it'd be a bit like us having a, a summer league that finished at the end of the Premiership in in real football. I don't know if there's going to be the demand for it, but I'm intrigued to see what he's going to do because you know that he's not. It's not going to be run of the mill football that the NFL's doing because he's, he's going to have some weird spin on it. Um, Eric, uh, well, again, aside from our regularly uh, scheduled programming, uh, thank you very much for uh, stepping up to be our WCW uh, man. And uh, I look forward to having you as one of the uh, like t- uh, top pillars of the podcast moving forward. <laughs> Congrats on the promotion. As uh, in the words of another great uh, philosopher, I'd like to thank nobody but myself for this opportunity. Um, uh, as the, as the resident American of the, uh, the, 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 the Jersey triad in charge of the podcast here, I do have a little bit of knowledge about, about, you know, football, American style football. And I cannot think of a worse gamble than trying to establish a financially viable professional football league to be an alternative to the NFL. Uh, I think that the game is held in such high esteem by purists and old people and that they're not going to accept any massive changes to the game. I don't think advertisers are going to flock to it because all the ones you want are already advertising with other leagues anyway, NBA, NFL, those sorts of things. And there's going to be pressure for them not to advertise with this new rogue league. Um, I don't think the quality of play will be anywhere near even like high level college football because they're not going to have uh, there's going to be brand new teams, brand new schemes, brand new coaching staff, players from diverse backgrounds, players who maybe haven't played professionally in a number of years, older players, players with criminal history. It's going to be a mess. I just don't see how the quality of play is going to it be enough in its own right and they're going to have to overcome all the adversity that many many other upstart professional football leagues have failed. Uh, to overcome in the past, which is, you know, gain any sort of legitimacy against the NFL. I think Vince McMahon knows he's kind of won this battle with with WCW and with Turner, and he's probably bored, and he's got a billion dollars burning a hole in his pocket, and he's just... But this is this is insane. This is lunacy. It'll be interesting uh, to see uh, how things develop across the next year as we find out more about sort of team locations, TV deals, um, what that pool of players is going to look like um, and generally uh, see more of the XFL as it takes shape. But uh, yeah, your prophecy of uh, doom for the league uh, doesn't exactly fill me with confidence. Um, just thinking, obviously, it could be one of those where if they go into maybe secondary markets where there aren't teams already, obviously, like yourself in Portland, Eric, obviously, you don't have an NFL team. Obviously, the closest one to you is the Seattle team. Would would maybe having these secondary markets that don't already have teams, maybe that be where it gets, gets its push? Yeah, I think as long as you also have 
built-in infrastructure. And so the problem is uh, you need an outdoor venue that's big enough to house football that's not like a high school stadium, right? And so can't do or do these secondary markets that don't already have these Leviathan NFL stadiums have uh, college fields that can be rented? Well, then you're then you're secondary to the college team in the market, and that that looks really bad for the league. Uh, you know, there's a very there's a handful of um, uh, there's a handful of secondary markets that have major league soccer teams that maybe could you know farm out their their venues, but then again, many of them, most of them, I think, are playing in NFL stadiums. They're renting space already, so I just don't know whether the infrastructure exists to support that idea, which is otherwise exactly what they should be doing. Yeah, it'll be uh, definitely. Uh, one to keep an eye on over the next year as we hear more about sort of the rules of the league and uh, things like that. But um, I'm sure it will have a impact on the uh, business of the WWF, not least because Vince McMahon's going to have plenty on his plate to occupy himself with that isn't just overseeing the writing of WWF television. Um, as it's more of a sort of ad hoc uh episode for you this month we are jumping straight in with our pay-per-view review for the wwf which is of course no way out so fresh off a great royal rumble show in january which featured an absolute classic between triple h and cactus jack a rematch was set for this show this time with jack putting his career on the line inside our third ever hell in a cell match um eric would you kindly kick us off with the results of the show Sure. Uh, in the opening match, Kurt Angle defeated Chris Jericho to capture the Intercontinental Championship. And then in the next match, the Dudley Boys uh, captured the tag team titles by defeating the New Age Outlaws. Uh, Mark Henry then defeated Viscera in an absolute banger. Um, Edge and Christian defeated the Hardy Boys uh, to become, excuse me, to become the number one contenders to the WWF Tag Team titles, because every match has to have a gimmick. Uh, moving forward, uh, Taz then defeated the Big Boss Man. X-Pac defeated Kane in a no-holds-barred match. Too Cool and Rikishi defeated the Radicals. Yes, you heard that right, in a six-man tag team match. The Big Show defeated The Rock uh, to become the official number one contender for the WWF title at WrestleMania. And in that aforementioned main event, Triple H retained the WWF championship in a title versus career match against Cactus Jack. And Cactus Jack is now retired from the World Wrestling Federation. Lacey, over to you first. What did you make of this show? This was... One of those shows where when it was good, it was really, really good. When it was bad, it was just plain boring. But the good moments did outweigh the boring ones. We uh, we all know you and we're all familiar. Long time listeners of the show will be familiar with your um, uh, with your uh, where you stand on boring shows as opposed to bad shows so that doesn't fill me with confidence for how much you enjoyed this one um eric did you enjoy this any more than uh lacy did two things yes i did uh i did enjoy this show uh you know it's just wwf's kind of riding a little bit of a heater right now they had a, a real poor 99 uh the end of the 
year Armageddon, they kind of had their best show in a while, in my opinion, or at least their best angles kind of culminated. The Royal Rumble was an absolute banger. And I think this show, you know, for all of its warts, uh, had uh, was overall very, very good. Uh, and especially when we take it to the WCW side of things and review Super Brawl, this show really shines like a diamond. Right, let's get things started uh, with No Way Out. And our opening match is the Intercontinental title match with Chris Jericho defending uh, his belt against the European champion, Kurt Angle. Y2J's in control to start, and they slug it out before Angle drop-toe holds him onto the bottom rope but gets backdropped over the top. Jericho hits a springboard dropkick, and they fight on the floor. Jericho hits a nice line salt off the steps before they get back in, where Angle quickly crotches him and hits a belly-to-belly superplex for two. The crowd tells Angle that he sucks during a chin lock. Jericho comes back with a double-arm backbreaker for two, and Angle gets a released German suplex, which also gets two. This is followed by a single-arm DDT for another two count. Jericho blocks a blind charge with a leg lariat and then hits a face jam. Uh, a flying forearm then gets two for Y2J. Angle tries a Rana, which is blocked, and uh, into a double powerbomb, which again gets two. Angle reverses the pin, attempt into a cross arm breaker, but Jericho is able to make the ropes. Uh, a reversal sequence then follows, which leads to the Olympic Slam, but this still gets a two. Angle grabs the title belt, but Jericho catches him with the walls before Angle also makes the ropes. They fight on the floor again before Angle grabs the European title belt. China gets in the way and she's wiped out, which distracts the ref long enough for Angle to block a line salt by nailing Jericho with the title belt on the way down. And that was enough for him to get the free. And Kurt Angle is our new Intercontinental Champion. Not even four months after debuting within the company, he is the European and Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Eric, what did you make of our opening match? Yeah, I thought this was really entertaining. Um, I think these are two guys for Angle. He's still feeling his way around a wrestling ring overall, and he's already outstanding. Uh, and Jericho is a guy who has taken a little bit of time to adapt to the WWF style. That's been, you know, that's not news at this point, but he's starting to get it. And these guys came together and had a pretty good uh, match in a in a in a top spot on a card, the opening match. And I think the booking here worked out well. Obviously, Chris, you mentioned it. The, they've strapped the strongest of rockets to the back of angle. He has two belts here. He looks good. He's had some quality wins in short time. Um, Jericho, I think works is this like tweener face that they're working him towards. I mean, he definitely played the face here, especially at the finish and that finish. I think it boosts angle as, as somebody who can win the match, but maybe needs a little bit of help to do it. Uh, cements Jericho as the face at least for this moving forward and it sets him up great to have a another banger match at Mania where hopefully they're given another five minutes to really you know kick it into fifth gear I wouldn't have expected this uh, coming off of the angle Taz match at the Rumble last month uh, uh, that certainly feels like quite a long time ago now uh, Lacey what did you make of the opening match this is how you open up a show proper wrestling I love the fact that Angle comes out preaching his free eyes and then cheats like fucking the worst. It's like, you fuck it, you've got this. He he is, for someone that, obviously we all know his his background and his, you know, his credentials as a proper wrestler, but he has got the sports entertainment side of this down. The promos, the way that he fucking 
behaves, the smarminess. You know, 20 years ago, he would have been the biggest babyface and be seen as a god. Because of where we are in this, in the new millennium, he is the quintessential heel because of who he is. And the fact that he then goes against his integrity and you know all that to cheat, genius. Sign me up. I'm all up for Angle. And he is the Eurocontinental champion. Have you guys uh, have you guys seen the Street Fighter movie? Yes. It's basically as if Vince McMahon was able to throw Bob Backlund into that machine that made the guy all green and muscular, and Kurt Angle spin out. Like he's the perfect. He's the perfect like anti Bob Backlund, but he's an equal skilled wrestler. It's like the perfect WWF Northeastern American wrestling per- performer. He's like an idealized version. He shouldn't even exist. He's so good this early. And yeah, uh, I would be surprised if he is not main eventing by the end of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, been very very impressive, um, which I know. There are reasons behind it, um, at, but it just makes that that Rumble match with Taz the opener just looks so out of place in his short career so far uh, in the company. Because I mean, this is kind of like what we had come to expect from Angle, even even after a couple of months, and uh, to lose so convincingly to a newcomer within three or four minutes. Um, on pay-per-view is in, in probably the sort of the, the biggest highlight match of your career up until that point. Um, felt quite damning for Angle. And then the next month on pay-per-view, uh, he's winning the Intercontinental title and he's back exactly where he should be and exactly where his talent, which is unbelievable for his level of experience. Um, so, yeah, really impressive. Um, really, really good opener. Pleasing opener. Uh, nice little creative finish. Nothing, nothing too adventurous. Um, just... Good old-fashioned hill win, and uh, yeah, a great way to open the show. Moving on, and we have a match for the WWF Tag Team Titles with the New Age Outlaws defending against the Dudley Boys. Uh, so Lacey will have been very pleased to hear the ECW chances. The Dudleys make their way to the ring, and we start off quickly with Bubba hitting a awesome Bubba bomb on Road Dog. Followed by the uh, fly head back to the groin spot that the Dudleys do. The isolate roadie, where, which makes sense since uh, Billy is legitimately injured, having picked up a shoulder injury on SmackDown. Uh, Rody uh, finally makes a tag before Billy hits a fame master, uh, clearly nursing his injured sh- shoulder. Bubba then hits him with a lead pipe uh, in that shoulder. <laughs> Classic Dudleys. Uh the Dudleys follow up with a great 3D on Road Dog, and they win the WWF Tag Team titles after just five minutes, just five months after debuting in the company. Lacey, the Dudleys are the Tag Team Champions. How do you my, feel? My boys are there, and they're doing it the way they should. Um, the one thing I will say, because it was obviously a highlight shown from the SmackDown the week before, will be a miss of Billy Garden. That fucking leap that he did to do the Fame Master through a table on Bubba. Fuck me, that boy can jump. It is a shame that obviously Billy was injured and obviously they had to work to to the injury on there, but the way they'd done it with the pipe shot was oh, just air kiss wonderful. It was Dudley's, good. The it Dudleys good. are 
this is what I was hoping we were going to get from Dudley. So I knew we weren't going to get riot-inducing, kicking off with a crowd, flaming tables, Dudley's. It was never going to happen in the Fed. But this, they, they've modified it just enough where it's still still the Dudley's. And I'm I'm just happy. It it just fills my cold, dead, extreme heart with just just bliss that the Dudleys are being used properly, which I can't say for our other ECW alumni that's later on the show. Oh, wait till we get to WCW. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, over to you. I'm actually mad about the fact that the Dudleys weren't allowed to wrestle more in ECW more than anything after watching them in the last five months. Like they're Bubba Ray Dudley is an outstanding wrestler. Like he, if this was 1987, he'd be in Bundy's spot almost guaranteed. Like he'd be unbelievable as like a Hogan foe. He can move like any other big man has ever moved. And now that he's got his weight under control, the dude is an incredible athlete. And Devon is an excellent ring technician. Devon is just, he's the, God forbid I ever stop comparing people to Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, but like this guy is like they're they're like Ricky and Robert in that Devon holds holds it down, you know, knows the fundamentals, you know, works the works the middle range, and then Bubba comes in for the high spots and the low spots. They're really good, and I wish they hadn't just done walking brawls for the last two years of their time in ECW. I think this match, however this match went, was completely inconsequential to the finish, which was the right finish. And the Dudley boys are going into WrestleMania as the WWF tag team champions. I'm right there with you, Lacey. This is great. And I mean, a, a spoiler for later on the show, but when we well, even just looking at the teams in the number one contenders match for the, for the tag teams uh, titles with the, uh, the Hardys and edge and Christian, it's like, you've got those two teams, you've got the Dudleys, any combination of that, all three, uh, all three teams at the same time. It's just, it's just a fantastic place for the tag division to be in, and uh, the Dudleys coming off a, a good, a good, uh, a reasonably good uh, performance here. Nothing special, but obviously uh, one of the opponents working hurt. Um, but I mean, yeah, the Dudleys right at the forefront of that as they should be, and I think having them there is just exceptional because you've you've got other teams in the division that can go as well, um, but also like. Edge and Christian and the Hardys clearly have some great chemistry, but they're going to have incredible chemistry too with the Dudleys. I think it's just going to be a really great dynamic um, moving forward. So uh, long may the positive trends for the tag division continue. Uh, moving on, not going to spend too much time on our third match. It was a last-minute addition to the show after the two men brought on heat. Um, and I'm sure everyone was absolutely dying to see this. We have Mark Henry versus Viscera. Um, so uh, the match uh, only went around three minutes and uh, it ended after May came down. Uh, the fans were chanting boring for the majority of the three minutes, basically up until May came down, uh, to be honest. Viscera shoved her down when she was there, went for a splash on May, but Henry hit a shoulder block, a body slam, and that was that for the free count. Um, that was the match, Eric. But I believe we have something to discuss aside from the match involving a few of these uh, competitors, and uh, in the form of a hand. Yeah, let's let's lend a hand to this discussion. Um, so we're on Raw. You know, Mae Young's pregnant or whatever, and she's been hanging out with 
Mark Henry, no big deal, right? You know, I'm not ageist or sexist or anything like that. Like, people can date who they want to date, fall in love with who you want to fall in love with, whatever. You know, it's it's whatever. Mae Young's pregnant, which seems biologically questionable, considering her age and the amount of abuse her body has taken over the years uh, in the squared circle. But anyway, she is, and it's presumably Mark Henry's uh, baby. No big deal. So we go to Raw, and uh, backstage at Raw, not in a local medical facility, but no, backstage in the locker room with what appears to be a uh, physical therapist and a bunch of wrestlers uh, gather around Mae Young, at which point she gives birth to a hand. Uh, That happened. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? And to think I thought Russo was was the worst thing in wrestling writing. Whoever wrote this was either listening to Russo or looks up to Russo because this, it wasn't funny. It was just fucking weird. And just like, why? I I don't have anything to add. (laughs) I don't know what to say. I, I just, yeah, that's always going to be something that happened in the World Wrestling Federation. I mean, it's going to be it there with choppy, choppy PP in it. It's going to be those things when you look back at the, the stuff that we've seen over the course of doing this. You know, we've had choppy, choppy PP and the birth of a hand. Uh, <sighs> I mean, I don't want to cause more drama because, I, I, I mean, giving birth to a hand is is i imagine quite traumatic i I don't know um but like it was also a caucasian hand so i'm questioning mark henry's paternity as well the whole thing i I just i don't know what's happening like it's honestly one of the most baffling things i've seen as a wrestling fan but at least it was better than a match it was better than the match i i will uh i will happily admit that yeah uh if you if you think about watching no way out the third match just skip right through it do yourself a favor go put the kettle on it takes about three yeah i was gonna say it takes about three four minutes to mix a cocktail perfect perfect and then when you get back you come back in time for the number one contenders match for the wwf tag team titles and you have edge and christian taking on the hardy boys who with Terry Runnels. Uh, so we're underway, and uh, Jeff misses a corkscrew moonsault to start. So starting off hot. <laughs> and uh, But the Hardy Boys take control and double-team. Christian hit a backdrop suplex, gets two for Matt, before Christian fight, tries to fight them off, but gets pounded in the corner. A dive is followed by a lariat for two, before Jeff hits a, spring spo- hits a springboard moonsault and also gets two. Christian escapes a powerbomb and hits a neckbreaker. Jeff tries to send on, but Christian gets his feet up to block. He makes a hot tag tag to Edge, and we have some high spots that follow. Eventually, Edge cradles Jeff for two. Christian drop Toho's Edge, who headbutts Jeff in the groin, and this also gets two. And we have a a huge sequence that leads to a nasty-looking pile driver onto Jeff for two. Jeff comes back. He hits Arana on both men, uh, but Edge... Uh, follows with an equally nasty-looking um, snap powerbomb. Uh, we have a lot of resting, 
after a double knockout and uh, until uh, Matt comes back and nails Edge before Jeff makes the cover and gets two again. Edge spines versus Jeff and goes upstairs but gets drop kicked on the way down. He hit the hot tag to Matt Hardy. He hits a uh, drop sleeper on Christian for two before the Hardys both hit Rolling Thunder on Christian for two again. Uh, Edge spears Jeff midair but falls victim to a cutter from Matt. Jeff goes for the senton. Uh, but uh, Terry suddenly turns on him and pushes him off the top rope. Matt goes over to her. He gets slapped, and this allows Christian to hit the Impaler for the win, and the number one contenders for the tag team titles are Edge and Christian. Uh, Lacey, uh, what did you make of this match and that finish? See, I really, really like this match. I think these four have got so much upside. They're so fucking young, and they're so... innovative it's the word in it um with the offense that they're coming out with i don't get why or what the whole thing with terry was unless it is literally to obviously bin her off get rid of her get her elsewhere because i can't see her now doing something with the with edge and christian um so I think it sort of cheapened that finish a little bit. But then again, I suppose if you have a finish like that with a little bit of a, oh, there was a bit of you know controversy in the finish, that you might get another go at these two sort of going at each other as an unborn contenders before Mania. So obviously we've still got a month or so before Mania at this point. But very much looking forward to seeing Edge and Christian against the Dudleys and watching the Dudleys absolutely annihilate them and keep the titles. So, yeah, on on Terry, I should say that uh, after the match, Edge and Christian were uh, pretty puzzled. Um, They didn't seem to be in on any plan with Terry. They were pretty confused. Uh, Even though Terry raised Edge's hand, uh, he and Christian just left and left her on uh, her own. Uh, Terry was there. She had the the APA with her um, because uh, they're kind of wondering what's going on as well, but she'd hired them for protection. So uh, they're there and uh, with her. So Matt comes back after the match. Edge and Christian are long gone by this point. He grabs Terry by the hair and uh, Bradshaw runs in, hits a clothesline, uh, protects Terry. And uh, then Farouk slams Jeff right on the back of his neck. Mm. And uh, Terry has been protected by Bradshaw and Farouk. So, uh, yeah, definitely doesn't look like she's going to be doing anything with... Edge and Christian and it was maybe moved over to the APA and this was just the way to get her out of the storyline. Um, Eric, what did you make of this match? Dude, I thought for now I'd be so sick of watching these two teams do this every month. and I'm not at all. Um, I just want these two teams and like you said, the Dudleys and now even the APA are involved. I just want those four teams kind of on a rotation with each other at this point. And whenever these two teams come together, you know, it's going to be just something different. There was more action in this match than there was on the entire WCW show. that we'll talk about here in about an hour. If you're still with us. Um, I kind of don't mind any of the storyline stuff because these two teams just needed an excuse to get in the ring together. And I think edge and Christian are probably a better team to go against the Dudleys to start. Um, I also am interested to see the Hardys and the APA in like a WrestleMania 5 style or uh, was it 
five, I think five opening match, the Rockers versus the Twin Towers. You know, just give us the two quick young guys versus the two behemoths and maybe the young guys slip by him and it really builds them. Uh, that could be fun, too. So I think the right outcome here and I think this match is it's just great and getting Terry out of the way uh, of Edge and Christian and the Hardys putting her maybe with the APA. Maybe not. It doesn't really matter. I think that's a better move, too. I think everybody comes out ahead here. Really, really solid stuff. Yeah, big thumbs up for everyone involved. Um, and these guys certainly don't need ladders to have a excellent match together. Um, just some great tag team wrestling, cool spots, and a hot finish. And uh, everyone comes out of it looking a little bit better than they went in. If not, sort of, sort of card position, but certainly better positioned uh, for the coming months. So yeah, really good stuff here. Uh, big thumbs up from me. Next up, we have the big boss man. Uh, he's accompanied by Prince Albert. Uh, he's taking on Taz, who uh, debuted with a huge win in about four minutes over Kurt Angle last month at the Royal Rumble. Uh, boss man and Taz get into it on the floor. Taz grabs boss man by the arm and they head to the ring. Uh, inside, boss man works over Taz with some punches and a splash. Taz comes back with a clothesline and hits an overhead suplex. He locks on the Taz mission. So Albert runs in, attacks Taz, and leads to the DQ after little more than a minute. Uh, they keep uh, beating down Taz after the match, but he keeps fighting back. He won't stay down, and eventually officials run in and break everything up. Eric, what did you make of that? I made that it was cut for time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing ha- I mean, literally, what you just said was what happened, and it was fine. Taz is, Taz is already done. Uh, Lacey, what did you make of this? What uh, are you making of Taz in the Fed so far? At least he had one good night. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, oh, this was fucking pointless. What they've done to Taz is fucking disgusting. Give it six months, he'll probably be holding a hardcore title and having garbage 24-7 matches. They've, they've, they've fucked themselves with Taz. I, I thought they would because they didn't they weren't gonna know how to book him because of his size and and everything we thought has come true. You're always welcome back in ECW, Taz. I don't think I don't think he can go back right now. I think he's it's so bad so soon. Like I think he needs to just go away and stay gone for a while. There is that. <laughs> Which is which is a massive shame, because it feels like forever ago. But there was so much hope watching that Rumble pay per view. It's like they're actually gonna know, like it was the the music, just the the look, everything was so on point, and it just felt like that could have been last year's Rumble for how relevant it feels. It's just it's 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 almost unbelievable. Except it was entirely predictable, and it was probably more unbelievable that they that they got it right for one night, rather than just never getting it right. Um, yeah, it's a shame, but um, yeah, this was a whole lot of nothing, uh, n- nothing to write home about. Inoffensive, but yeah, entirely skippable. Next up, we have a no holds barred match with Kane, uh, who's with Paul Bearer taking on X Pac, who's with Tory. Uh, 
Kane wins the early brawl, so X-Pac bails, and they fight up the uh, up the ramp to the entrance. A trash can, ring bell, and steel steps come into play as they brawl all their way back to ringside. Bearer gets some shots in on X-Pac, but also takes a right hand once things move back inside the ring. Kane plants X-Pac with a chokeslam, but here comes Tori. Uh, Kane no-sells her, shot, her shots and hits her with a tombstone. Kane goes for the steps, but Pac drops kicks him into his face before using the steps for pin leverage and stealing a win after about seven minutes. Lacey, what did you make of this brawl? I like this. This was this was a well-thought-out match because, obviously, X-Pac being the smaller one, he can't do his usual stuff on the Kane, so he had to use weapons, and the way that he was using those weapons was quite in it, quite well done, um, especially with how he got the win at the end. I did quite like the bit where uh, Paul Bearer was chasing around Tory, got halfway around the ring and was blown out. So he was just like, yeah, I'm not even going to have to keep running. So Tory just stopped, which was nice. Um, yeah, the use of the manager was really good. This is what a hardcore, quote-unquote, hardcore match is in the Fed and, in theory, the same in WCW, where this is their version of an ECW walking brawl. It's non-offensive. It makes sense for these people for the feud where they're at you know would have quite liked to see the flamethrower again yeah but, eric, yeah it's, it's unoffensive eric over to you have we have we seen this finish before i, I feel like we have but i can't put my finger on it i, I don't know i liked it i thought it was cool because it it's like 100 percent of the way xbox could win this match was by turning something around Don Kane and stealing a bit of leverage and rolling out of the ring and run, you know, running to the locker. Um, so that was great. It was a perfectly executed finish. It was the only way X-Pac could beat Kane without having, you know, a whole bunch of shenanigans, Pyro and Ballyhoo. Uh, I think Paul Bear is entertaining. You know, I don't know about his stamina, but I think it's always good to have him around. Uh, Tori's well served in this role, not wrestling. So I think everybody here kind of came out ahead. Kane can take a loss. That's fine. He'll come back and look strong at some point when they need to heat him up. No big deal. X-Pac, you know, looks good as kind of an upper middle card guy now, which we never would have said even three years ago. Um, yeah, I think, again, another another solid match with the right outcome done realistically and in a well thought out way and in a way that allows them to potentially do some kind of bigger blow off to this rivalry at mania next month which it keeps it open for that because of the finish so it works on that level as well so i was i was i was a big fan of this like the match was a bit of a sprint but had some good shenanigans in it and uh it felt like a good way to continue the feud it felt like a it 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 didn't feel cheap. It felt felt logical and and rational. And I'm a big fan of that in my wrestling because, uh, yeah, sometimes it's just a little bit too much. Like when people give birth to hands. Uh, moving on, and we have the radicals. Uh, it it's the uh, three men. Why am I blanking? It's not Eddie Guerrero. It's the other three. It's Benoit uh, Saturn and Benoit Saturn and Malenko. Malenko. 
Yes, it's those three. I don't know why I did write their names in my notes. Uh, taking on Rikishi and Too Cool. Uh, they all brawl before the bell, and I should have known that. Like, I think I have Eddie's written name, Eddie's name written down because uh, he tries using a lead pipe as a weapon, so the referee ejects him, uh, even though it was sort of before the match begins, which seems a little unfair. But Eddie is sent to the back, so we're left with uh, Saturn, Malenko, and Benoit. Uh, too cool. Uh, do well when the match begins uh, until uh, they run in riot until Dean cuts off the worm. Uh, Scotty takes the heat and the radicals take turns in beating him down. And let me just say, everything they do, let's great. This is news to absolutely nobody, but it's clear that they operate on a different level than pretty much all of the WWF mid card uh, has done for many years. And I am so very grateful. Rikishi gets the hot tag and cleans house. He also allows Scotty to hit the worm, but uh, has his bad leg uh, chopped blocked twice. Grandmaster Sexy nails the hip-hop drop, but Benoit breaks up a pin with a diving headbutt. Too cool, Saturn and Benoit all fall outside during a scuffle. Malenko, who'd been running from Rikishi earlier, is now confident because the big man is down. But Rikishi's able to turn things around. He squashes Dean with a Rikishi driver and hits butt drop for the pin after 12 minutes in somewhat of a shock result. Uh, Tuku and Rikishi dance to the crowd after the match, having defeated the Radicals in their first ever WWF pay-per-view appearance. Eric, any help, please? Well, this is where we just, you know, why we praised the booking and kind of the outcomes and the logic of it up to this point, because it's just a precipitous up-downhill departure uh, until the end, even further beyond that arguably I, I don't understand this at all the match was good you rightly point out that um the radicals are by and large the most talented workers in the ring that the wwf probably has in the mid card immediately along with kurt angle and a couple of other guys i'm probably not mentioning but it was clear going up against a couple of jobbers like too cool and Rikishi, who is just a completely different thing. It's kind of weird that he's involved with this whole deal. Um, there's no reason on earth why Brian Christopher or Mr. Scott Too Hot couldn't take an L here to a crossface or a Saturn driver or a Malenko Texas Cloverleaf. Like those guys are designed to lose matches. Rikishi can be fucked off he can be double team triple team handcuff him to the ring post eddie gets involved eddie takes out quiche at the knee three minutes into the match it's a three on two beat down boom radicals when they look violent maybe rikishi scurries them off at the end to keep him looking strong but in no universe does too cool win this match clean in the middle pinning one of the radicals it, it's unfathomable only if they are heating up rikishi to be whoever is the world champion's immediate post-mania opponent or th- or at SummerSlam, and he is not going to lose a match between now and then. Only if then, only if that becomes the outcome, will this, in hindsight, become acceptable. But right now, no logic to this whatsoever, man. It's so strange. Lacey, what did you make of this match and uh, yeah, the booking? So, I, I get. A little bit of why you have the bit at the end so too cool can dance and you know make the fans happy but i wasn't happy <laughs> why why have they fucked the radicals that quickly okay yes it was dean that took the loss so you know the 
main star there that is Benoit is is safe. But you've got these guys that even if you have a passing knowledge of WCW and or ECW, you know who they are, you know how good they are, and you're jobbing them to comedy team. Is is this Vince's way of sort of going, ha ha, kids, you, you think you're big shit? Not in my world, you're not. You know, didn't... This kind of is what he does. Like, it's not like Jericho was a... I mean, Jericho's debut was a rocket ship to the moon but so was the radicals but then jericho's first couple of months he was just kind of an underneath guy trading losses with china for fuck's sake like so yeah, maybe, this, maybe in a solo yeah exactly and maybe this is kind of vince's way of saying welcome to the fed pal you know you're ready to play ball that kind of shit whatever it is but that that's the only logic here to it is if well, it's logical for vince so okay so let's just have a quick thing so jericho Big Show, you know, the last two big ones that have come from WCW, he has given them the big open and then fucked them. Oh, they fucked Paul White. Oh, so bad. So bad. <laughs> like, oh, God. His, his, his introduction was both the spectacle and the fucking in the same spot. <laughs> like, that's how, that's how condensed and, and, and how, like, you know, well executed that was. So you know, Vince has previous. I, I mean, it's it's Vince one hundred and one, but it doesn't mean we don't that, like excuse it. it. No, it's just fucking bullshit. To be frank, like I don't, I just, yeah. I mean, I I don't know that I'm personally behind it, but Eric, you better be right about Rikishi. That's that better be his planned trajectory for the next six to 12 months because then it's slightly more justifiable. Maybe not. <laughs> I, d- I don't know. Even uh, then, if you, even then, if you fuck him out early here, two minutes in, like I said, you still protect there. There, there is no, I, I'm going to retract all that. There is no rationale for this. None at all. Get Rikishi out of there in two minutes, have the radicals dissect Scotty and, and Brian, and then, you know, hit their finish and get out. And then Rikishi th- clears them out and they can still dance. And everybody wins. I like this booking. That's what they should have done. That is what they should have done. And I'm not. He had get... a pipe. They had a forfeit with a pipe. <laughs> yeah, but they got rid of him because he did something before there was a batch, which is just bullshit again. I don't know. I don't want to give any more airtime to that nonsense. And I, and I much prefer your booking. So, in my head, that's canon now. That's Good happened. Match. Good match. Solid yep. win. Good win for the Radicals. Next up, we have a number one contenders match uh, with the Big Show uh, facing The Rock, uh, determine the top contender for the WWF Championship, heading into WrestleMania next month. Uh, if you remember back to the Royal Rumble episode, uh, the January WWF episode, um, The Rock won the Royal Rumble, or did he? Uh, the Big Show uh, and everyone who was watching uh, could see that the uh, the rock, both his feet had actually touched the floor uh, just before the so-called finish of the match. Big Show produced evidence uh, that wasn't shown on the main broadcast of the rock's feet hitting the floor. And uh, basically, it led to this match to determine the one true number one contender for WrestleMania, the rock versus Big Show. And uh, it, I mean... 
I said after the Rumble that um, having sort of some cloud of controversy around the Rumble finish isn't a terrible way to fill the time between the Rumble and WrestleMania, have an ongoing feud over that number one contendership for WrestleMania. But at the end of the day, The Rock still comes out on top. With that in mind, let's get into the match. Wait, Chris, can I just can I just say, that was the storyline in 97 and 99, though, too. So I'm just throwing that out there. It was, but I don't mind the annual repetition of something that makes sense. Like And, and 94. Oh, many years. Sorry, sorry dude. <laughs> so we have a slug flesh to slug. And 92. All of the years. It's actually probably more common that they they don't... Sorry, that they do it than they don't. Yeah, you, you don't often get a definitive Rumble winner. That's what we're learning. Slugfest to start, which goes badly for Rocky, but he gets a quick float over DDT for two. Uh, Rock Bottom is blocked with an elbow that sends Rocky flying outside, uh, where they brawl, and Show eats the stairs. Uh, Rocky's back backdrops him over the railing but show presses him uh back onto the railing in retaliation uh back inside a power slam gets two before show boots him around for a bit what comes back with a russian leg sweep for two and a ddt which also gets two show fights his way back into the match he hits a slide slam for a two count uh he grabs a chair but Rock comes back. Uh, the ref is bumped, and Show hits the chokeslam for two. As the second ref, Tim White, runs in for the count. He and Hebner then get into a shoving match, and who else should join us? But it's Shane McMahon. Uh, quite a big pop from the crowd for that. Shane's in. Uh, Rock nails a big show of the chair and goes for the people's elbow, but Shane's in the ring, and he absolutely blasts the Rock with a chair shot. Uh, and this allows Big Show to get the win. In less than 10 minutes, The Big Show pins The Rock after interference from Shane McMahon. And The Big Show is our top contender heading into WrestleMania. And The Rock has been beaten again. Lacey, what did you make of this? The match was all right. Um, I don't think Show and Rock really combine that well. I don't mean, think they, they meld that greatly. But the intrigue bit is obviously Shane coming out, hitting that devastating diving chair shot and giving us that intrigue of why did Shane help? What is what is going on? Um, which obviously going into Mania we'll find out. I am just hoping that we're not going to get, spoiler alert, Big Show Triple H as the main event of Mania though. Because how Rock and Big Show go together trips and big show is going to be even worse i just don't know what the big show is doing in my main event scene i, I didn't <laughs> understand at survivor series and i don't understand now um eric what do you make of everything the match and and the finish i completely agree with you about everything you just said about the big show uh really no fault of his own he's just kind of tainted goods at this point and he and Taz should go on a nice long cruise together and come back and let us all forget about him for a while. Um, I think The Rock is is and was trying very hard in this match. I feel like Shane McMahon, that spot, Shane's spots are always great. This one was no exception. 
I am a bit perplexed at the ending. I don't see any universe where it's going to be Helmsley versus Big Show in the main event at WrestleMania. So unless they're not going to have that match be the main event. So you're going to have an undercard world title match at Mania, which they almost never do. Or you're going to have some shenanigans on Raw, which are going to negate this pay-per-view result completely uh, between now and then to get to The Rock versus Helmsley, which is what they should be doing and what they probably still will. I don't really have any other ideas that make any sense to me. Um, I don't really... I don't know. We're either going to be disappointed at the result or we're going to be disappointed at this result. I don't see any other way out of it. So, again, just I feel like they're just killing time, but I don't... Something about this is going to be disappointing in the end. I'm just not sure what yet. Well, the the current rumor mill um so obviously we have triple h the champion uh well i was gonna say aligned with with stephanie more than aligned with stephanie uh and now we have the big show aligned with shane mcmahon so the 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 current rumor is that rock is gonna go team himself up with vince and the match is gonna be a freeway with a mcmahon in each corner as well, oh, why don't we just give them? Why don't we? Why don't the McMahons just book themselves to wrestle in the main event? Like it's been, it's too much. Can they go away for a while too? <laughs> well, can they take some of these roster people on that cruise and go away for like? <laughs> just go on a nice summer vacation. Yes, please, God, six to eight months. Yeah, so yeah, so our WrestleMania main event is looking to be a freeway between three inconsequential wrestlers, but the real story is looking at which McMahon will garner full control of the WWF. So, there's that's your a, WrestleMania. That's a storyline the average working man can get behind, let me tell you. Yeah, Austin's gone for a few months, and look how far we've fallen. Hostile, corpor- hostile corporate takeovers. Uh, moving on from a rather disappointing uh, semi-main to... An absolutely excellent spoiler alert of my opinion of this match. Main event uh, with our WWF Championship Hell in a Cell match with Triple H defending his title against Cactus Jack. Uh, Before we get going, the door is pretty clearly chained shut here, which uh, will prevent Jack from reaching the top of the cage, as he promised to do. He hammers Triple H to start, and... uh, he he tries nonetheless to open the door, but uh, is not successful. They fight on the floor and then back in, and Triple H gets the upper hand inside the ring. He hits a face buster, but uh, Jack uh, backdrops him to the floor and grabs a chair. Hunter uses a knee and sends Jack crashing into the cell. He throws Jack into the stairs and into the ring post. Jack gets up, so Hunter tosses the stairs and... Uh, hits him right in the head. That looked painful. Triple H pounds the stairs with a chair for good measure and back inside batters Jack with a chair for two. The DDT then gets two, as do two more attempts. Cactus then hits a low blow and a DDT on the chair for two. Russian leg sweep on the chair also gets two. Jack then seats Hunter in the chair but charges and takes a drop toe hold into the chair for two. Back outside. Hunter rams Jack into the cage a couple more times, and Jack responds by slingshotting him into the cage, which draws blood. 
Hunter does his best Ric Flair impersonation. Jack rubs his face on the mesh to draw more blood. Uh, Jack drops his chair-assisted elbow onto Hunter on the floor before throwing the stairs at him, who then ducks and the stairs break through the cage. Jack sees his chance and sends Hunter crashing out of the cage before pile-driving him onto the announce table. He climbs up the cage, but Steph pulls him down and Mick shoves the timekeeper aside before he finds his favourite toy, the barbed wire 2x4. Triple H takes it to the face and climbs to the top of the cage to escape, and the crowd really start to get into this match at this point. Mick follows, but he gets shoved off onto the Spanish announce table. Uh, Foley then tries and fails to toss a chair onto the roof, eventually climbs up, and Triple H goes to town with a 2x4 on him. They slug it out, brawling on top of the cage, with Triple H teasing a fall through. Foley suplexes him and DDTs him. Hunter takes a shot from the 2x4 on fire to the head. Mick tries to pile drive him uh, onto it, and that proves to be his undoing. Hunter backdrops him, and the cage gives way, sending Cactus Jack plummeting through the cage to the mat below, which crashes, uh, which breaks, sorry, as he crashes into the ring. Hunter slowly crawls his way down um, the broken part of the cell and goes into the ring with Jack. JR is going crazy, uh, screaming a, a fantastic call about how Jack is actually still moving as he gets back to his feet. Hunter lays him out with some punches before picking him up. He hits Cactus Jack with a pedigree in the centre of the ring. Hunter covers and Hebner counts the one, two, three. Triple H has retained the WWF Championship around the 25-minute mark. And Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, has retired from professional wrestling. Lacey, what did you make of that main event? That is how you do a fucking big-time Hell in Cell match. Obviously, the match against Taker was a couple of massive spots, but you know the rest of it was a bit there. That there was suspense, there was clearly action, there was hope that Jack was going to win. There was the big horrible bumps. There was fucking fire. It it was perfect and. If we never see another Hell in a Cell match, that's fine, because you ain't topping that. It is the best. Eric, what did you make of it? Yeah, first of all, I completely agree with Chris. we got to put the Hell in the Cell on the WWF cruise, too. That's got to go away for a while now, too. Um, because this match, just I don't know how you top the... I don't know how you top the emotion, the stakes, the spots... Um, the execution, the logic, everything. I mean, this match, warts and all, and, you know, these types of matches are best when they don't look perfect because it's not supposed to go perfect. You know, you're not supposed to... It's not supposed to look like an action movie. It's supposed to look, look like a fight, a sanctioned fight with chairs and gimmicks and all that stuff, but a fight nonetheless. And they came out there, and they left it all on the table. I personally just as a fan was disappointed in the result, but there really was no other outcome. It's not like I was expecting anything else. Um, and Foley's been, you know, giving his, giving his body to the, to wrestling for a decade now. So I'm not surprised. Uh, and I just think that it's important to like recognize that 
Mick Foley is a magician in the ring. I mean, the list of guys who everybody universally thinks, well, they're good, but they need somebody to work with that he's worked with well is long and extensive. I mean, the three biggest ones are obviously Taker, Vader, and Helmsley, who have all been criticized for having lackluster matches when they don't have an opponent to work with. And I think at this point, we're safe to say that other than maybe Ric Flair for Vader, that Foley is the best opponent for each of the Undertaker, Vader, and now Helmsley uh, ever. And not to mention his run in the tag division in WCW when he made the Nasty Boys entertaining, things like that. So, like, this guy is just an absolute magician, and he came out there and he, you know, he left it all on the table on that last match. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, I, I absolutely lo- love this match. It was just outstanding and uh, an all-time great match and one of the four frontrunners for match of the year for the year 2000. And I didn't think they'd top the match from the Rumble, but I think they did. Um, I do agree in the sense of Hell in the Cell needs to go away for a while, but... I mean, they've only done three in the last four years. Um, four. That's the fourth one. Everyone forgets that wonderful one on Brawl. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that one. Yes. Uh, okay. So they've done three on pay-per-view. Three proper ones. Uh, and, uh, well... Oh, two two proper ones. Yeah, two... Okay, yeah. Well, two proper ones. But, I mean... Uh, this I is th- just con- contradict Chris <laughs> White hour. Yeah. I, my, my point was that I feel like they've, they've done it sparsely enough to keep okay. it special and like they don't need to do another one this year but i feel like they've only really brought it out with the exception of the raw one um as and when uh sort of the emotion of the story calls for it and as yeah. long as they continue to do that and only use this stipulation when it's authentically necessary um to elevate something like it did here then do it go to that well again but until until you're in that situation until those circumstances arise yeah um put it on that cruise um this was yeah just uh there was just so much drama and emotion to it like the the battle on top of the cell was really significant based on the other hell in the cell matches because like we knew we we knew what had happened last time he was up there and uh Every time someone took a bump or like f- on top of that cell, it was like they could go, they could go, and you knew it was coming. Uh, and uh, the the it had so much tension to it, which wrestling wrestling so rarely sort of elicits. It was almost like something out of like a very atmospheric horror movie. Um, I uh, yeah, I think it's one of my favorite WWF title matches that I would have seen as part of this project i've really enjoyed it um i but like you eric i'd echo that i was disappointed but also not surprised by the result um the fan deep down is always thinking how wonderful it would be for foley for cactus jack to, to win the title here and go into mania and main event it um but logic dictates that that was always pretty much never going to happen so um i was very well prepared um sort of for this outcome but uh yeah i I can't speak highly enough of this match i thought it was sensational and a a superb way to end the show and 
if it is his last ever match, a superb way for Mick Foley to bow out of professional wrestling. And that will do it for our review of WWF No Way Out from the year 2000. Um, Lacey, I'll come to you first for your overall thoughts on the show and score rating out of 10. So, as I said, when it, this was good, this is fucking amazing. And what is shit, other than the, the six-man tag, the shit stuff's fairly quick. So... You know, you can go make a cocktail or have a shit. You know, there's loads of stuff that you could do that's, you know, to pass that three or four minutes or just fast forward it. This is that that main event. This this show is all about that main event and will be there at the end of the year in our in our conversations for match of the year. And I am giving it an eight. Eric. Your thoughts and score at ten. Yeah, I'm not far off from from what Lacey said. I think yeah, if you added up all the bad stuff on this show, which was really the Mark Henry Viscera match, the Taz segment, and the last ninety seconds or so of the Radicals Too Cool Rikishi match and segment, you know, you're looking at a show that went two forty five, two fifty, and only had about twenty minutes worth of crap on it. Stay tuned, and we're going to talk about something where this would have been the best show of the last three years in the other company. So, you know, I think because WWF is now being a little bit unfairly judged because of the level of its competition and some of the unfortunate booking outcomes that did influence the show, you know, especially with the radicals, I think I'm almost with Lacey, but I think I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10 with the caveat that the show could look a lot better on hindsight uh, as we move forward into mania season. Yeah, I've, think i enjoyed the show more uh reviewing it like than i thought i did watching it at the time um the main event was unbelievable um i liked both tag matches i thought the radicals match was pretty good even though the finish was garbage um and i do have hopes that maybe we can sort of bin that off and turn it around almost as quickly as they did with the Taz and Angle match from the Rumble, that's almost like it never happened. Um, the opener was good. Uh, I think I'm going to give it an eight as well, just because I think there's more good than bad. And it's nice of the WWF to give you a show with sort of designated drinks and bathroom breaks, um, like the Mark Henry match and uh, also the, the Taz stuff. So, yeah, pretty good. Really enjoyed this show. And I think... Uh, another month in the books of a of a of good pay-per-view from the Fed in, in the year 2000, which uh, is surprising considering the quality of the company throughout 99. So, Mr. White, this is where you will be leaving us um, as me and Eric continue our journey into Super Brawl. What have we, why have we done this to ourselves, Eric? Deep, deep waters lay ahead, my friend. Deep, <laughs> deep waters. Yeah, I'm gonna go join the uh, WWF cruise for a little while, and uh, I'll be I'll be back next month. Hopefully, some of the other uh, my shipmates won't be, but I, I certainly will be. So yeah, um, cheers for having me, guys and uh, listeners. Um, thank you very much for uh, sticking with us in what has been a testing month, but uh, we're gonna pull through it and come back better than ever. So yeah.
Um, thanks very much. I'm out of here. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So, Eric, it leaves us brave too to discuss the wonderful world of WCW. And I've got some and, news headlines. Yes, I was going to say, let's let's see what's going on down in Atlanta. So, roster updates, or... Hey, Jericho, got any more of that printer paper? My word, the HR department at Turner was uh, busy this month and through the end of last. First of all, and I'm not covering everything here, guys. It's impossible. Rumors are Kevin Nash sustained an ankle injury by slipping on ice around the first of the month. This caused significant nitro rewrites led by Terry Taylor. Uh, Because it's Nash, it was speculated the injury was conveniently timed to avoid a tour of Germany. But Nash did have surgery later on in the month. But DDP will be out a month with an injured back. Page is said to be angling to be let out of his WCW contract to jump to the Fed. He even turned down a Nitro appearance this month due to frustrations with the company. It looks like the earliest we'll be seeing Goldberg is in April, and sadly we may never see Bret Hart again. He continues to suffer from post-concussion syndrome from his kick uh, from Goldberg last December. Ric Flair, yes, Lacey, this continues. Ric Flair continues his uh, decade-long contract dispute with WCW, and it's said that he has a spot open in the WWF. Scott Hall, who you may have uh, noticed or, or will, uh, main evented the pay-per-view this month, still may be fired due to his contact on and around that same flight uh, to Germany that Kevin Nash was able to avoid. Hall was refused boarding when a flight attendant noticed he was clearly under the influence. Now, this all happened before Super Brawl, where Hall headlined. So we aren't sure what's going to happen. But by the end of the month, Hall was hospitalized for a swollen spinal cord. So what do you mean? Scott Hall on the drinky poos. Uh, drink, drinky poo, pilly poo, whatever, whatever. A couple more here, Chris. So we're, we're going to talk about some ECW guys here in a second. First of all, Shane Douglas was fired this month, and he's threatening a wrongful termination lawsuit against WCW. Yes, folks, moving forward, we discussed this. WCW is going to be highly newsworthy stuff. And the Nitros, well, we'll talk about stuff when, when it happens but the news is really where wcw uh, is entertaining these these fateful days so let's just keep with it douglas alleges he was fired due to a biceps injury he was recovering from after he filed a claim with human resources of all of all things uh douglas already had heat due to being a vocally disgruntled member of the locker room and you know he did attempt to jump to the fed with guerrero and those other guys a few months ago Lastly, to wrap this up, a contingency of Mexican wrestlers are suing WC are considering litigation against WCW, as is Canyon. Uh, Sonny Ono has already filed lawsuit against WCW for racial discrimination allegations, and now WCW is going to sue Scott Steiner for everything that's been going on with him. That situation deserves its own podcast. Basically, Chris, it's a good time to be a lawyer in Atlanta. So, basically it's time to get that checkbook out and start paying people off. Yes. 25,000 here, 25,000 there and clear the books. Next we have Terry being Terry. (laughs) Oh yes. When it comes crashing back down and it still hurts inside, Hulk Hogan is back on nitro and thunder and he's a face and he's wearing red and yellow. The problem is he didn't move the needle at all. Hogan's return to thunder this month. saw the show draw lower than normal. 
Hogan is also said to be in an endless contract dispute with WCW and Turner, those lawyers again. And because Terry is being Terry, Hogan has been appearing on Bubba the Love Sponge, a radio show, and burying WCW and nearly everyone in it, including Luger and Liz, who he was up against at Super Brawl in the semi-main this month. Uh, Hogan also in that same interview said guys like Kidman couldn't headline at a flea market. Uh Appearing on both Don Imus uh, this uh, this month, which is another radio show, uh, as well as Man Cow, which is a national radio show out of Chicago. Hogan buried WCW, Nitro, Ric Flair, The Rock. Yikes. Brother, brother. Uh, Hogan, you're a wonderful fellow. Next we have WCW goes extreme. Yeah, how many times have we had this headline? This is a rinse and repeat. So now Sabu is rumored to be on his way back to WCW for $500,000 per year. The problem is he still might be under contract with ECW, and ECW has now lodged a tampering complaint against WCW. Paul E., oh, Paul E., is trying to negotiate a buyout with Turner for what's rumored to be a quarter million dollars in a talent exchange. Lacey, I'll give you a dollar if you can tell me the two talents that Polly wanted in exchange for this buyout of Sabu. So this is Paulie being Paulie, so he probably said that he wants I don't know Scott Steiner and Hulk Hogan. Oh, so very, very close. Juventud Guerrera and and Bobby Eaton who Paul E is interested in uh, bringing in as a road agent. So, is you know, Bobby I know he's still on under a WCW deal. I hope he is for Bobby Eaton's sake. Good for him. He and the get genius that, are get, get that money. Yeah. He and the genius are hanging out in the sun, in the sun with Greg Valentine. Anyway. So to Sabu's credit, uh, Sabu alleges ECW violated his contract so many times. It's now void. Yeah. That's a thing actually. And he's free to sign anywhere he pleases. And also, just to dot the dot the cherry here, or put the cherry on top here, Chris Candido and Tammy are also headed to WCW. They'll fit in with Hall and his pile of coke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nitro, Peter's out. So Raw was preempted uh, this month on a Monday, and Nitro had occasion to run unopposed. On the night, Nitro saw only a 15% ratings increase. I think they were expecting like 50%. The near three-hour show, yes, three hours on Nitro, fuck, culminated in a paint-by-numbers Hogan-Flair match, followed by a Sid-Jeff Jarrett match that was said to be, and was, terrible. There's now a movement backstage to bring back Vince Russo, Lacey, and oust Kevin Sullivan completely from the booking team. How Terry Taylor, who's kind of caught in the middle of all this, fits in, I have no idea. Uh, Russo, uh, to whatever credit he's owed, has stuck to his guns and says... If he comes back, he's bringing Crash TV with him. Uh, (laughs) Even, even, yeah, even Bill Bush, the new Eric Bischoff, is feeling the heat from those above and below him. It gets better, Chris. By the end of the month, there were reports that Hogan and Piper had teamed up to make a play for the book. (laughs) There, there Uh, is, yeah, it's the gift that keeps giving. There is literally no good news to report out of Atlanta. That's that is the gift that can you imagine Hogan with with that? It will literally be, well, I need to be the champion, brother, brother. 
and anyone that's got any credibility or even some of the talent obviously we, when we go through the paper there are there are a couple of good lads in there that we can talk about they would not be seeing the light of day it would just be fucking 1989 wwf revisited if fucking brother brother gets the book fucking hell and the curse of russo may come back that's that's probably even worse and finally Super Bowl 2000. Why are we here? And why should we even pretend to care? In the uh, stealing from the great Kevin Nealon, Super Brawl 2000 took place on the 20th of February. Experts are still trying to figure out why. More to come later in the show. <laughs> uh, Lacey, anything on the news or anything you want to talk about before we dive into Super Brawl? Uh, again, just... Just so everybody who's listening to this, uh, maybe it's been a couple of days since you finished the raw volume and you had to get your stomach right to to listen to WCW. Um, we're we're doing a little bit of an abridged version this month, and we're not covering the nitros in as much detail as we will in the months to follow. But Chris, anything you want to talk about before we dive into this barn burner of a pay per view? As as my you know consigliere of uh, the American side, any chance you can sort of you know get me some money at WCW for having to watch this shit? I think there's a large class action lawsuit that that's to be had. I really think, I really think that I just need to move to Atlanta. And that would also help our taping schedule a hell of a lot because it would give you guys an extra three hours to, we could schedule on weeknights even. <laughs> but yeah, no, it seems to be obviously. I know the the Time Warner deal and all that and the AOL money. Is is this one of these of where they've someone is found that they can get easy money out of them if they you know do small cases or something and instead of going through the court they're quite happy to just go say fuck it here just have this and go away i am i am nearly certain that this a company of this size would have a liberal policy where if you'll settle if, if you're if your case on its face appears to have some merit or it's going to be too costly for us to defend against or the publicity is something we don't want to get you know because the average Tom, Dick, and Harry American doesn't know that, you know, Sonny Ono filed a discrimination lawsuit against WCW. But if Sonny Ono wins a discrimination lawsuit against Turner Time Warner, that's headline news in a lot of circles. So, yeah, they're going to pay these guys to go away so that it doesn't become mainstream news should they have been, found, you know, should they have been uh, errant in their ways and, and the lawsuit's valid. Absolutely. Because that's that's what that sounds like with the Paul Lee bit, where you know I think he somehow found out that maybe there's some money to be made on the on the slide. Because never, never would Paul Lee ever miss taking a gift horse in the mouth and coming up with some shit to go. Yes, you need to give me some money. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll settle out of court. Just pay me the money. Because we all know how ECW needs money. Yeah, um, that doesn't surprise me at all. None of it does. Yeah, I think. I just think it's a good time to be a lawyer in Atlanta, dude. And let, let's discuss brother, brother. Obviously, we'll we'll go into more detail in the in the pay per view review with him being back. But why would you even have him around if all he's done is shit on everything about it? I, I don't I don't get the logic about this. I I get it. You know, five years ago he was big shit. But no one's really given a fuck about Hogan since 98. He was it's, pretty yeah. much fucking irrelevant all of last year. 
they did the big fucking bring him back in red and yellow and that's done fuck all is it time to just go this isn't 1985 anymore you aren't all that just just go away perfect segue into the show because you know maybe the ratings aren't changing but the crowd this crowd especially for super brawl it made a difference and it made a noticeable difference in the way this card flowed and the way that it all kind of built to hogan like it I can see why they'd be interested in having him around just based on this show and his reaction being almost nearly the only positive thing that might have come from it. Spoiler alert. But, you know, I can see why they're sticking with it. I just he's such a dick. Like he just he's not helping anybody and he knows what he's doing. Um, But the crowd still respond to him when it's live and when he's got a big match. And I think, Chris, on that note, Let's go to Super Brawl 2000, which did occur on February 20th, the year 2000, uh, just a couple of weeks ago here. And uh, Chris, uh, what were your overall thoughts uh, on this show as we dive into the deep waters of Super Brawl 2000? I have one word for you. Let's hear it. Okay, an amalgamation of letters, more than a, a word you'll find in the dictionary. I agree with you. So we open Super Brawl 2000 with a recap that sets us up with everything that's been happening on Nitro and Thunder. It's so much and nothing at all, really. Uh, we're here with 10 minutes of it. Oh, 10 no, we'll fucking get... minutes before we even get into a match. And my dear boy, you don't think I have a note about that? <laughs> Shivani, Tanay, and yes, Mark Madden. Mark Madden uh, on the call. Uh, Mark Madden has uh, replaced Bobby Heenan, it appears, uh, finally and forever. That is not a good thing. Gene has the stick backstage, and a horde of ladies and Jeff Jarrett walk out of the commissioner's office. We learn the Harris brothers have been reinstated to accompany Jeff ringside. Uh, On television, they've been barred from ringside by the commissioner, but now Nash, the commissioner, isn't here. Ankle surgery, remember? Back to ringside, we run down the entire card. Yes, the entire card. And we're promised James Brown will appear tonight. So we get to, eventually, the artist versus Lash LaRue to crown the winner of a cruiserweight championship. Uh, Oklahoma, the prior cruiserweight champion, had relinquished the belt on television. I think we're all happy about that. But anyway, this is the finals of a television uh, tournament that's been taking place over the last few weeks. It's Prince Iokea doing a Prince thing versus Lash LaRue. And Chris, 13 minutes from show to bell. 13 minutes. Um, By that point, you should have already had your opening match and been going into your second match. What the fuck is wrong with these people? And and folks, uh, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Mark Madden tonight, but just know he's an annoying sycophant. Anyway, the match starts. Quick start with punches and kicks traded. And Tanae reminds us that Hoovy, Psychosis, Mysterio, all the awesome cruiserweights who aren't in this match. So Prince Ayukea grounds Lash, and the match kind of slows down. You know, Prince is a small guy who wrestles a big style, by and large. This match is really sloppy. I'm not going to try to call it. Tanae tries his best to cover it, and Tony Schiavone just ignores it. Paisley, who is just stellar, but has no idea what she's doing, is on the apron the entire match. Eventually, she helps the artist, Prince Ayukea, avoid taking a top rope Hurricane Rana. Prince wins with his jumping DDT finish and wins the match. Very sloppy match and the belt. Chris, this match was less than six minutes crowning of a title tournament. (laughs) What are your thoughts? 
It was sloppy as fuck. Um, it's all right. I, I've never liked Iakea. And even more so now that he's basically trying to be Prince. And fucking the thing that pissed me off with this is Madden and his... When anyone would say, when Shivani would say Prince Arcaea, no, the artist formerly known as Prince Arcaea, the artist, it's like fuck oh off. God. Oh no, just this... just fuck up. You can't just just we know who it is. In calling of commentary on any other sport, you don't give full names. You would say just their surname or the the name that they go by, i.e., Ronaldo or Cantona in football terms. You're so not, bonus, you know. Yeah, like you, you, you'd not, you don't have to say their full name every fucking time. And to keep nitpicking on it, I was like, can we fucking, like, kill this cunt's mic already? And it only gets worse. Oh, we'll point it out. We'll, we'll, we, you know, Mark Madden's going to be one of these guys where we talk about him 100% more than he deserves to be talked about. And only for being bad. Only for being bad. But, you know, it was all right. When I think of WCW and the Cruiserweights, like we were, you know, reminded, Malenko, Jericho, Mysterio, Psychosis, Hoovy, La Parker, these guys that actually are fucking decent. These two are not. But at least it's not Oklahoma. Right, no. And and I realize now that I, I didn't have you read the match results. Um, there were a lot of matches and they were all short. And we'll get to all of them. Um, backstage, Norman Smiley gets his rib taped. He got uh, hammered pretty hard by a wall on TV. And now Gene is with Brian Nobbs. And Nobbs cuts a decent promo. Um, he gets the storyline over. He sounds like an ass kicker. He sells the hardcore division. Not bad, Brian Nobbs. Uh, we cut to a private room. And nobody knows who's in the room. Uh, this will become a reoccurring theme throughout the night. And we go to Nobbs, uh, Brian Nobbs versus Bam Bam Bigelow for the hardcore title. Uh, remember, Bam Bam main evented WrestleMania less than five years ago. Uh, anyway, uh, Finley's here. Uh, Finley and Nobbs are in cahoots. And uh, Finley wants to help Bam, uh, help Nobbs, but uh, Nobbs says no thanks. The bell rings, and these guys immediately brawl into the crowd. They go to the WCW online table. They go to the concourse. They walk. They brawl. You've seen it before in much better versions in ECW when the Dudleys were involved. Uh, Tony, uh, in my favorite line of the night, I think, mentions the lucrative business of being a table vendor to wrestling companies in the year 2000. Tony's paying attention. Anyway, after a very short, very paint-by-numbers walking brawl, Knobs wins after Finley does interfere and distracts Bam Bam Bigelow. Your new hardcore champion after a four-minute walking brawl, Brian Knobs. Chris, anything to say about this? I don't like these watered-down, shitty, hardcore matches that the Fed and WCW do. Obviously, coming from the land of extreme, I see what it really is. Bam Bam is wasted. Brian Nobbs, what the fuck are you doing on TV? You were shit in the 80s slash early 90s. You had one, maybe two good matches in that run when it was them against Cactus in the tag team things in, the, in WCW in like 94, 95 time. It's the year 2000. Get the fuck off my TV. But I do want to get on this table selling business because... 
he's right. We'd make him in. No, to, sh- Tony's paying attention here, and he's the only one. He's playing chess, and we're playing checkers. Uh, to remind everybody, Rick Stage is in cahoots with Lex Luger, who's in cahoots with Bam Bam. There's like weird, loose faction affiliations going on, uh, basically since January through now. It doesn't seem like that's going to carry through the end of the month. So just try not to get too attached to who's in cahoots with who, because it's going to constantly change. And if Russo gets back, it's going to be different anyway. So just kind of pay attention to the matches is my recommendation, and try not to invest too much in any of these storylines. Just what you want out of a wrestling company. And we get to three count, which is Courageous Moore and Helms uh, versus Norman Smiley in a handicap match. Uh, There's another four-minute match, Chris, so I want to talk about something first. I know a big debate in this kind of new millennium of, of in wrestling is real heat versus go-away heat. And I've, I've kind of always thought heat was heat no matter what, but think three count like makes me understand what go-away heat is. See, I, mean, I, I can't stand these guys at all. See... Shane and Shannon in the ring are good. It's the whole boy band shit beforehand and the dancing and the singing and that shit. That can fuck off. But, you know, I've, I have I don't think they're that offensive. Uh, you know, I, okay. I, That's fine. We know. can agree to disagree. You know, it, it's, I know normally this, this, you know, you'd think that this would just fuck me right off, but it was, it was the one thing that wasn't super offensive in a show of absolute shot. Yeah, and remember that Norman was supposed to be selling a rib injury. The wall put him through a table on Thunder. Uh, Norman's then got to go one on three here with three count. But I don't think anybody really sells Norman's ribs for a while. A lot of a lot of interesting stuff happened through this match. A lot of big spots. It was kind of convoluted in a spot fest, and it was pretty sloppy. Uh, Norman hit a pretty cool giant swing, um, but really this was just kind of a paint-by-numbers. Uh, I say that phrase a lot, but tonight what it was. Uh, Norman eventually remembers to sell the ribs. We go home, and three count wins after hitting a couple of really impressive top rope maneuvers. Um, I'm kind of starting to understand why Rory jumped off this ship, Chris, after these first few matches. The, so, the one thing that has not been explained to us is why the fuck is Norman Smiley having a three-on-one match against Free Count? There's, there's, no, there's in, no feud here. There's no reason behind this. I, I could get him being one-on-one with one of them and the other two being there and shenanigans... But it being a handicap match, for what purpose? Right. No, and I think I think you know when you hear your question, you're like, well, it's because it's it was booked. But what you're really asking is that, like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would a guy with injured ribs agree to fight three guys? I have no idea. Pretty much. Yeah, I think we officially have too much, too many wrestlers, and too much wrestling. Um, so we're backstage with Jeff Jarrett. And he also wants to know what's behind that damn door. Um, so we go back to ringside, and there's this incredible entrance that's unveiling before our eyes, and it's the demon. And Tony oddly calls this the main event of the night, and he, he kind of mumbles through what's supposed to be an unveiling of this hot new character on pay-per-view. And really, the crowd is dead. You do know why they have to call it main event, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm certain... 
I'm certain just, it was a, a contract thing with Kiss. Yeah, the same reason that there was meant to be that, you know, joint pay-per-view slash Kiss concert. Um, the Demon has to main event show, pay-per-views because, you know, that's how they can have the, the likeness. <laughs> well, let's see how this let's see how this unfolds. Uh, so the wall comes out and uh, looking like the Sandman if he sobered up and these guys put on kind of a hard big guy ish style match, big guy versus small guy match, but it's sloppy and short. Uh, the demon drops the wall nearly on the top of his head, gets caught in a choke in the choke slam and does the job in four minutes. There's your main event. Uh, so Chris, I guess Gene Simmons won't be at Starcade. No, uh, this was basic as fuck. Both, both these guys are fucking green as shit. You know, the wall was great as the heavy for Alex Wright Berlin. You know, it made sense him come in, hit the big, the big shit, and you know, just get out so he doesn't have to carry a whole match. I would have wished that. With the demon, they'd have gone with who they were meant to be going with, because it was meant to be Crush, because at least that would have then, you know, worked to someone that can actually have a wrestling match for a built-in, perfect wrestling character. You know, yeah, I'm not the biggest of Kiss fans, but that visual of the demon face paint, the coffin, it is perfect wrestling fodder as a character and they fucked it well done well, WCW. there must have been a falling out because there's no way they do all this build and pay all this money and then just job the guy out to a mid-card you know big guy in four minutes on pay-per-view so something happened here but this was just don't even have the match like just the demon can go away by having this you're basically telling your audience like look uh we have this big deal and he's gonna lose and Maybe they're burying Kiss. I don't know. It's just so weird. Like, don't even have the match. So, uh, Gene is backstage with the cat, and Gene is skeptical. Uh, James Brown is here. And, and Chris, the cat is such a bad promo. It's pretty wild. Um, and the Harris brothers are trying to break down that door now, but they can't. So they go looking for the key. That's perfectly reasonable. Okay. Chris, are you ready? Um, I've been looking forward to this since watching this. Okay. I don't know who's in charge of this show. Or I don't know who's going to be in charge of the end of the year show, but I'm putting my bookmark in now ahead of time uh, for a certain award. It is now Tank Abbott versus Big Al in a leather jacket on the pole match. And Chris, I'll bet you this match isn't as good as the last match over a leather jacket. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's really, really not. Uh, the announcers sell that Tank's been at the power plant. Uh, Tony says that Paul Arndorf, who runs the power plant, uh, thinks Tank is the real deal. And I think Tony just buried Paul Arndorf. Um, and so then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the men tie each other together and begin throwing real punches at one another, just potatoing one another, for real, in a wrestling match, tied together. The announcers have no idea what's going on. Big Al then drops Tank out of nowhere, and Tank sells like he's dead for something like 90 seconds. This is all that's happening in this match. Go back and listen to Chris White's call of the Hardy Boys Edge and Christian match, and I'm putting as much detail into this as he did into that. Um, this might be the worst match I've ever seen. This makes Naval Yoko look like Steamboat Flair. 
Anyway, uh, those are some of my thoughts. Tank throws some punches. He wakes up. He then drops Al, climbs the ropes with Al on his back, drops him. Al hits the stairs. The announcers laugh. Tank gets the jacket, and the match ends. Madden, the fucker as he is, tries to sell Tank as the future of wrestling. And then Tank puts a knife, a fucking knife, to Al's throat. Tony sells it as scissors, meant to cut Al's beard off. But it was a fucking knife that he put to his throat. Chris, this felt like a bad acid trip. (laughs) I'm going to fucking kill you. I can fucking kill you right now. Just wrestling. And so let's let's break this down. So they they first. (laughs) What? Wrapped each other's hands with a belt and for no reason were were literally proper punching the fuck out of each other. He's then Tank picks up a knocked out Big Al and tries to climb the pole with him. Because he can't do it properly, he drops him. Pretty much could have killed him and broke his neck. And then pulls a fucking knife and tells us that he's going to fucking kill him. This is after he was apparently unconscious for 90 seconds. He did not move for a minute and a half. I don't know if I don't know if we come back from this. This this is. I I don't what what are you going to do with either of these two? I, I would if that list of people that were told to fuck off and get out these would be the first on my shit list I'd be like no fuck off do not even fucking grace my door again you've got a guy that's pulled a fucking knife out on pay-per-view attempted murder in front of yes it's a WCW crowd so probably about 4,000 people <laughs> but still just just I there are no real words for this and I will say everyone just just watch it put yourself through the three and a half four minutes that it is because it needs to be seen to be believed of just how fucking crazy this is and we'll move on. And the highest compliment I can pay this next segment is that it wasn't the last segment. Gene is backstage with Stevie Ray and Big T and some guy who looks awfully like Clarence Mason, but I didn't write his name down. Uh, Big T is Ahmed Johnson. Um, well, Ahmed Johnson when he ate Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> yeah, this Big T is Ahmed Johnson, all caps. Uh, we cut to a video recap of Stevie alleging Booker turned his back on the hood. This, Chris, I think would be a pretty good storyline if Paul Lee was booking it. Yeah, because we'd um, have New Jack doing it. <laughs> but instead, we're dealing with intellectual property law. Right on. Uh, yes, Check course. this out. Booker can't use his name, the flames, or the theme music. So whomever's leading this podcast at the end of the year again, this is my Feud of the Year nominee. This is about intellectual property law. 
let's not bring up the irony of Stevie hiring an IP lawyer at $500 an hour to protect his trademarks and copyrights and then accusing Booker of selling out. Are we sure Russo's not here? Anyway, it is big T, very big T, versus Booker, not Booker T. Booker comes out to some Disney-fed garbage music. I don't understand why he's using this music. They try to sell it as it's his motivation because he can't use the Harlem Heat music. I don't see why he just doesn't pick another song. But you, you've, you've missed out the main point and the purpose of this match. It oh, is, I... So Booker can get back his tea. Oh, yeah, I did. I, I left that out. Well, he, he doesn't get it back. Um, I, I was just wondering, like, Booker should call up Jimmy Hart and get something close enough. folks this is what it's come to anyway so uh big t attacks booker to start and it's sloppy and dangerous um stevie ray constantly interferes in this match and booker cannot do anything despite his best efforts they're clearly calling spots in the middle of the ring big t has no idea what to do madden the fucker sells it as physical and intense just stop lying you prick Booker almost wins a completely heatless match that ends in five minutes that he basically dominated, but he doesn't because as he's got one, two, the lights go out and a bell tolls and in the ring is an absolutely massive dude. I thought for a second it was Nelson Frazier and it wasn't, but that kind of gives you an idea what this guy looks like, the size of him on the distraction. Ahmed wins with one of the sloppiest Pearl River plunges I've ever seen. I called him Ahmed. It's big T. It doesn't matter. Uh, after the match, uh, the attorney that they're with, uh, who looks like Clarence Mason, cuts a promo about the girth of the new Harlem Heat. Uh, Chris, what are we doing? I, I, this sometimes we have to question ourselves and why we do this. We do this for the people. We do this for the fans. WCW is, is just trying to you know test how far the human spirit and resolve can go because this was utter shit booker t is better than this and should be nowhere near this shit ahmed johnson was shit when he was small now he's super ahmed he's even worse and we've got another fat cunt joy uh, so the Harris brothers attacks the ma- attack the maintenance guy for not being able to open that door. Uh, so we still don't know who's behind that. So the next uh, next match is Kidman versus Vampiro. Uh, these guys have been feuding on TV. Uh, Madden says this match will steal the show. So he has the format and he knows they only have seven minutes. So why set expectations like that? He's like buried both guys before the match even starts, and he knows it. And Madden then buries Tanae for Tanae is refusing to bury Abdullah the Butcher. What a mark this guy is, I've written down. Um, so the match starts. God, he Madden's so bad, dude. The match starts, and there's promise for a good outing. Like, they try it hard. And then, Chris, you mentioned earlier about Tony and Madden getting into it about name-calling, and Tony loses it with Madden for calling Vampiro Vamp. And then Madden, like, cries like a baby. So the match starts out strong, good two, three-minute opening, and then it just slows down. Vampiro is, is sloppy. He hits a few of his power moves. He misses Kidman's spots. Uh, Kidman hits Tori off the apron, and the match spills outside. Tori stops Vampiro from nailing Billy with a chair. They just keep botching spots until Vampiro hits a nice rocker dropper, followed by some indie carny top rope dropkick thing. Ultimately, Kidman counters a suplex into a top rope nothing that looks like it legitimately broke Vampiro's neck and wins the match. 
even Kidman can't have a good match. So the worrying thing on this is this was probably the best match of the night. It wasn't. It absolutely was not. But and, I understand what you're saying. You know, we've got two guys that can go. I like Vampiro's slightly sloppy sort of vibe. Um, I will say Kidman did do the worst chair shot ever where yeah. he barely fucking touched Vampiro, but yeah, Vampiro sold it like a trooper. I look at these two and go, this could have been, yes, Vampiro is a bit on the big side, but you you know, you could fudge the numbers a bit. This could have been your cruiserweight tournament final. And it would have been better than what we had earlier. You know, yeah, I, I liked it. Yes, it was sloppy. Yes, there was some misplaced things. But then it depends on how much these two have actually worked together because both of them have that sort of style that is difficult for people to, to take and do. So, you know, give them a little bit more of turns around around the ring and I reckon you'll get a really decent match out of it. And, you know, both of them come out of this not smelling like shit like the majority of the card have so far. No, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you kind of talked me into it in the sense that, like, these guys were only given seven minutes and you, it looked like they were just trying to move quick and cram everything in, which is what green guys tend to do. Instead of trimming it and having a seven-minute match, they tried to cram 11 minutes or 12 minutes into seven. And so I, I think I agree with you in that I can see the potential for what these guys could could be. Uh, but this match just never clicked. So we have a few matches left, Chris. I'm going to run over the times of the first few matches here. So uh, the opening match was 547, followed by 444, followed by 406, 408, 434, 523, and 720 for Kidman Vampiro per the uh, unofficial PWI numbers. Not working to any sort of work rate classics here so far. They're not um, getting paid by the hour. They're not. They're certainly not. Um, so Gene is backstage with Terry Funk and Dustin Rhodes. And, and like even Terry Funk's promo was paint by numbers. Um, so, you know, we like the FBI. Um, and now WCW has the Mamelukes, which is widely stereotypical compared to even the FBI, which are at least tongue in cheek. Um, but we have Disco Inferno, who's accompanying the Mamelukes uh, to the ring uh, to take on David Flair and Crowbar uh, for the tag team titles in a Sicilian stretcher match. The Mamelukes, Vito, and Johnny are the tag team champions. So you win this match by having both members of the opposing team taken out by stretchers. It turns out the referees can do that for you. So everybody's on the outside before the match starts. Uh, and Disco's on commentary, and he says he doesn't even know what the terms of the match are. Um, after some brawling, we go to the ring, and what you notice is that Daphne just screams a lot, constantly. Um, shortly into the match, there's a, there's a hurrah, and Daphne hits a actually a very good-looking Hurricane Rana on one of the uh, Mamelukes. Her wig falls off. That's kind of funny. And then you realize there's three things happening independently between Disco Inferno and Daphne, David Flair, Crowbar, and Vito and Johnny, who are all spread apart. It's impossible to keep track, and I'm not going to try. Even Tony Schiavone admits he's giving up on calling the match. Um, 
it takes for what happens is ultimately the Mamelukes take control and hit their finishers, but the match takes so long to resolve because of the stipulations. Eventually, Crowbar falls asleep on a table. Vito climbs up slowly and carefully to the top rope and executes a following splash. Eventually, the Mamelukes in sequence tie up David Flair to a stretcher. Uh, crowbar to a stretcher and they tie Daphne to a wheelchair and all of those folks get accompanied to the back bit of a comedy spot Daphne gets her mouth taped the Mamelukes win this match was a lot and nothing at all so my my massive gripe with this stretchers have fucking straps yeah they do don't they why the fuck were they trying to use tape which looked like cheap ass crappy you know the cheapest of the cheap fucking sellotape that just was fucking pointed it kept fucking breaking with them trying to do it at that point you go oh that was the idea but fuck that look these have got straps just strap the cunts to it we're done but no I'm pretty sure I did hear in the commentary that they did call them full-blooded Italians. Paulie, get your money back. The the fucking disco and his, oh, don't call them the Marmalukes, yet that's their fucking in, introduced name. It's, it's just, it's just shit. It's just shit. And I know that, you know, his dad is one of the greatest of all time. But why the fuck is David Flair in a wrestling ring on national fucking TV? I thought you were going to say Dustin Rhodes, but that's later. This David Flair is utter shit. He is one of the fucking worst things I have ever seen in a wrestling ring. And he's just getting worse every time I see him. Fuck off. Just because your dad's good doesn't mean you're good. It's just, you know, it sounds like we don't have anything positive to say, but there's nothing in our judgment. And if you are listening to this podcast and watching these shows and saying things that you think we're missing, you know, at Wrestling20YRS on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Let us know. We're, we're really trying to be objective here. And then you get something like Super Brawl 2000. And it's really, really hard. And then we go to... if, if, if someone does have positive things to say on this, we're always looking for people to come on the show. Come on and come on and tell us why you know this isn't shit. You would be you would be welcome here. You're we, we have a new regime, and I am taking applications. Uh, so Gene interviews Sid, and Sid says he's going to murder Jarrett and Hall, and also he's not afraid of the man behind the mystery door. That's a quote. So the cat is out, and he's promising us James Brown, and it's not James Brown. It's an imposter. But this guy can dance. It's pretty entertaining. And then the maestro comes out, and Chris, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. He physically cannot form words with his mouth, throat, and voice box working together. I cannot understand a word this guy is saying. I, I have no idea, and can he fuck off but leave Symphony slash Ryan Shamrock because, you know, he needs something to look at. I mean, it's you're not wrong. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, there's this huge entourage, and wow, it's James Brown. He's actually here. He gets massive pyro, like, more pyro than anybody got tonight combined. Uh, 
and there's like 30 people with him. He's in the ring and he hugs the cat like the cat pays this off. They have a live Mac and he and the cat do a little dance and the crowd is finally alive. And all it took was the most iconic soul musician in the history of music. And Chris, I have no complaints about this. WCW paid off an angle. What is there to complain about? Yeah, um, you know, we we got we got the sound bites that we want from James Brown. You know, we got "Say It Loud." You know, Super Freak. We got everything that we wanted. We got the dancing. We got him putting his magical cape over the cat. You know, giving him his divine James Brown powers. Actually, yeah. something you know that paid off. Well done. Well done. It- it, it only to... took you. It only took you an hour and forty-five minutes in this show to do it, but well done. And it wasn't a wrestling match, and it's not going to go anywhere, and it's not going to make the cat a bigger star. But they paid it off, so good on them. Uh, up next is uh, Elvis and Terry Funk versus Ric Flair and Bruce Springsteen. No, um, Gene's backstage with Hall, and Hall just looks like he doesn't give a fuck. I'm uh, pretty sure that's. That was the look of someone that's, you know, four days into a bender. Like, and, and the hangover I, has kicked in. His, his eyes look like Jake's eyes in, 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 um, in Heroes of Wrestling. It's really bad. Um, so we have a video recap of Funk and Flair feuding for the last 20 years. And before the match, Ric Flair cuts the first energetic promo of the night since Knobs did it like an hour ago. Uh, and so it is in 2000. Ric Flair versus Terry Funk in a Texas death match. Uh, So remember, you need a 10 count after a pinfall to win the match. Um, Tony and Tanae really want this match to be good. Uh, They try really hard to make this match meaningful. Chops in the corner to start and they trade blows. And this may be ironically the only match, a Texas death match, the only match of the night that didn't brawl to the outside immediately. It's a slow submission-style match to start, very late 70s, mid, uh, mid-Atlantic or, or 80s Crockett. Uh, unfortunately, the card before this match has killed the crowd's ability to appreciate like nuance and storyline and building. So the crowd is immediately dead because this is completely different than what they've been receiving all night long. They do brawl to the outside eventually, and Funk hits a couple suplexes on Rick. He gets a couple of three counts, but Rick is up before the 10 count. Uh, Rick then wallops Funk and Madden like an idiot points out how quiet the crowd is and he he does literally everything about his job wrong Madden does anyway yeah. Flair back yeah back in the ring uh, and Funk taps out uh, to a figure four and the announcers sell it as Funk wisely uh, tapping out to get out of the hole and get up by 10 psychology ladies and gentlemen in the year 2000 it still exists Back outside, and Funk pile drives Rick, and he pulls back the mats, and Funk just misses pile driving Rick on the exposed concrete. He gets a three, but Rick's up before a ten anyway. So one thing with that, you could have got away with not mentioning the fact that he just missed it, but fucking Madden yeah. made a big fucking pull. Oh, he hit the he hit the his head on the mat. It hit the the, the protected matting. Fuck off. Unless you were fucking overly looking out for it, you would have quite believed it if fucking hit the concrete. Why are you being a dick? 100%. 100%. 
So we're back in the ring, and Funk grabs the mic, and he says he's going to break Rick's neck and pile drive him through a table like he did in 1989. Psychology, storyline, this is all interesting. I guarantee Flair and Funk put this whole thing together because it actually made sense and was logical until the end. But anyway, Funk does hit a gorgeous pile driver through the table. This was the best part of the night, in my opinion. But he pulls Rick's arm up before the ref can count three. Funk sets another table up, but then Funk goes through it. Rick then gets a three out of nowhere in an extremely mild and out-of-nowhere finish. Terry beat him up for ten minutes, and Rick gets a three count out of nowhere. Chris, what was up with that? Oh, the, the, they were doing so well. It, it was it was cla- it, it was reminiscent of 1989 and the fucking blood feud that this was in 1989. And to someone like us too, who appreciates the finer things in wrestling history, we appreciate the callbacks, the things like the pile driver spot through the table again from 1989 but they then shit the bed with that finish and it's just like fuck's sake but why the fuck was Dustin there in his dirty red fucking leather trousers oh yeah fuck off yeah we should mention Dustin Rhodes was out with Terry Funk and did absolutely nothing was he sat at a chair at ringside and was completely inconsequential to every second, nearly, of the match. Um, yeah, I have no idea why why he was there. He didn't add anything. He didn't play a meaningful role. Um, I got nothing. Uh, anyway, Rick wins, and yeah, this match was a fine homage to their earlier earlier matches with a finish that was ill-befitting of the legacy these guys have left in the ring together. That's the best way I can say it. You know, it's not the same to hear the Rolling Stones play the same songs that they played when they were younger now and compare them. And so, you know, you're obviously not going to compare this to Flair and Funk from 11 or from 21 years ago. But as long as they can be respectful and not harm their legacies, I think it's fine. I think this match was just good enough, even with the finish, to not do that. But, like, I wouldn't have Flair and Funk do it again. Just like after Flair and Piper had a couple of good matches in 96, 97, like keep those two away forever now, or it's just going to become an embarrassment. They still had matches, by the way, but they were an embarrassment. So let's not have Funk back in two years to have more matches with Flair. But he's, he's, got, he's got to retire again at least another four times before that. Yeah, six or eight at least. All right, here we go, Chris. Uh, Gene is with Red and Yellow Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart. Uh Hogan says he's going to break Liz's body and feed her to Luger um, in response to Luger breaking arms left and right around WCW, including Hogan's own. Um, And it's Hulk Hogan versus Lex Luger. Chris, if you notice, Michael Buffer's here, but he didn't say, let's get ready to rumble. Uh, He did did later, but not this time. They're only paying him once. Uh, so here we are, and it's not 95, it's not 97, but it's 2000, and it's Hulk versus Lex. Chris, you have to admit that when American Made hit, the crowd finally cared about something. Hogan is, at least in San Francisco, still over. And, of course, 
Madden tries to bury him as Hulk's coming down. As Hogan's getting the only resoundingly positive reaction of the night. Man, fuck this guy. Yep. Anyway, so quick start. Luger attacks early, playing the heel role. Hogan chants fill the arena, and Hogan is a face again, and the crowd is into it. But he's wrestling like a heel, like he always did, but the announcers talk, talk about Hogan's dual personas. So, in the interest of time, Chris, you've seen this match before, and you know what it looked like. It was worlds better than Hogan's recent matches with Sting. Near the finish, Liz tries to hit Hulk with a bat, but Jimmy Hart gets the bat from Liz. Luger gets some heat. Hogan hooks up, and the crowd goes fucking mental. Big boot. Hogan hams it up, and before he can hit the leg drop, Luger hits a low blow. Hogan then nails Lex with his casted arm, hits the leg drop, gets the three, and wins. So Hogan wins with the leg drop, but they kind of killed the crowd by teasing it, then not having it, then wrestling for another 45 seconds, and Hogan's still winning with the leg drop. I would have preferred them just do, you know, hook up big boot leg, go all into it because the crowd was in on it, but they didn't. They killed it. Chris, I think this match was the best match of the night just because it was the first one where I was like, okay, there's a little bit of investment here. Hogan and Luger worked hard. It wasn't horrible, and it only lasted eight minutes. Am I just being a nostalgic dick? So, my my first thing I put on this was the eighties have asked for their match back. Absolutely, because I'm not this, denying this was a very typical eighties Hogan match. Evil heel takes advantage. Hogan looks defenseless. Art hulks up, gets the win. It's all right. I'm I can't say I've ever been a massive fan of Hogan's matches, even fucking main run Hulkamania in the WWF in the fucking 80s, he was still shit in the ring. You know, and he, you know, it's not like we're going to get 15 years down the line and miraculously he's going to have learned some moves. It served a purpose. It popped the crowd. Maybe, maybe they do need Hogan. Maybe that's what WCW needs is to have Hogan near the top of the show somewhere to just get the pops. But Lex can fuck off. I I I have never liked Luger. I've always thought he was shit. Even back in the fucking eighties when you know they tried to make him and put him with the Horsemen. He looks he, ridiculous. He looks absolutely ridiculous. Here's a guy in his what mid to late thirties now? Oh, who got to be hitting forties? He's been wrestling for fifteen years. He's jacked to the gills. He can't move. Like it, he looks ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it's, if you you sort of obviously get these people that you know do the bodybuilding stuff, and you know it's all it's all show and no go. That's where Luger is now. He is, he's just there for show, body-wise. And it hampers fucking everything with him. And is, I will go back to Starcade and that bullshit with Sting. He, Lex is awful. And I mean, I mean, it is time for him to fuck off. Well, let's talk about Sting, because after the match, so Hogan gets the win, uh, Ric Flair, who 
was just in a Texas death match approximately nine minutes ago, uh, attacks Hogan, no selling his previous injuries, and the heels go to work on Hogan, Rick and Lex. And then Sting makes his return, dressed in the black and white, thank God, and he's gotten rid of the red, and the crowd erupts. So the faces clear the ring, and it's Hogan's music that plays, not Sting's. Uh, Chris Sting is back. He's aligned with face Hogan. You know, he was born and raised in the U.S. of A. Are we back to Fall Brawl 95, or do you think we're going to do something a little bit different with, you know, Sting and Hogan being the top faces moving forward? As we've we've seen through the history of WCW, Sting doesn't know how to have good friends. Yeah. So at any point, Sting's going to get dicked over by someone, and it will probably be Hogan next because, you know, he's come out to help him and tried to make friends. The only time Sting has been, you know, not dicked over was when he went off on his own and went moody and emo and sat in the rafters. Sting will end up jobbing to Hogan at some point because Hogan, you know, we've seen it all before and we know what they're going to do. It, it's, you know, I have no faith in this company that they will do something new or innovative and do it well. Yeah, and that's not the main event. Uh, so uh, Hulk Hogan, the biggest star in the history of wrestling, uh, winning a match over top foe Lex Luger and having Sting, the biggest face in the history of WCW, making his triumphant return, uh, is the semi-main to our main event, which is Sid versus Scott Hall and Jeff Jarrett for the WCW world title. Uh, yes, I was laughing. Uh, anyway, so uh, they they try to make this match seem like a big deal. Sid Hall and Jarrett all get full entrances from the locker room. They make this seem like a title fight. Fair fair attempt and the mystery room is open but of course the cameras weren't there and we're told it wasn't sting and it wasn't james brown uh so we still don't know who the mystery room person is but presumably that person will arrive in the next oh 14 minutes because it's quarter uh to the hour and we're getting the main event in the ring so uh hall and sid uh i'm sorry hall and jeff start early without sid uh sid makes it to the ring and all of a sudden, uh, Sid runs over both guys, and the Harris brothers immediately interfere. That's the kind of match this is. Uh, and Tony reminds us this match is no disqualification, and I think, Tony, aren't they all at this point? Um, Sid gets double-teamed, and he sleeps on the mat for about five minutes. And this is where, like, I'm trying to call a match, but it's just impossible. So here's what happens. Jeff Jarrett goes ham and takes out a couple of refs. Uh, Sid pops up to take out the Harris brothers. Jeff then attacks a new ref. Jeff is just attacking referees. And then Mark Madden uh, makes the point that he thinks Jeff Jarrett is waiting for a specific referee. And then all of a sudden, uh, referee Johnson, I think they call him Slick Johnson, runs out. And Hall has the Jeff pinned, and the crowd is ready to lose its mind because despite all of his flaws, Hall is incredibly over here, and the crowd wants him to win very badly. One, two, and the referee refuses to count the three. He sells a bum shoulder. Um, the crowd groans. You hear the crowd groan, and they've killed all the heat. Nobody wants Jeff Jarrett to win, and Hall got screwed, and Sid's caught in the middle. Suddenly, it's Roddy Piper, and Roddy Piper emerges to break Slick Johnson's three count to give Jeff Jarrett the world title. 
Johnson has to delay this because Piper is late getting to the ring. But anyway, then Sid powerbombs and pins Hall for the three. Not Jarrett, but Hall. So it's Piper behind the door. Sid pins Hall. Jarrett gets away. I've never seen so much booking amount to so little. Chris, your thoughts on this match? It was the night of the living ref bumps. And all through the house, referees were falling over as loud as a mouse. Deaf to one, to two, three and four. One came out and hurt his shoulder some more. Then we saw the triumphant return of referee number six, a Scottish one, Piper they know him as. And a triumphant moment was had as the master of the world retained the belt. The match was shit. But, you know, at least I made a nice little soliloquy about it. I am never going to top that. And you put way more effort into the show than this show put effort into the show. So I commend you for that. And you're welcome back on WCW moving forward. As long as you bring your rhyme and lyrics with you. Uh, Chris, I just don't understand why this wouldn't be Sid pinning Jarrett when you have Piper coming out to give Jarrett an excuse for taking the three count. Hall was the most over guy here. The crowd wanted him to win very badly. Obviously, Hall's not going to win because he was in hot water going into and coming out of the match. But don't pin him. Have Sid pin Jarrett. That's your program moving forward. That's your program on Nitro when you're going up against when you're not going up against Raw. Like, just have that be your outcome here. And at least then you have a logical finish. You protect Hall, who's still over. You give the crowd what they want, which is at least Jarrett getting his comeuppance temporarily this kind of buries piper because the outcome was so glaringly not what the crowd wanted with jared not you know getting his comeuppance just just not not good not good at all chris uh so you're over go look ahead at piper now piper is oh you you just know that it's going to be bullshit with piper you know it has been Everything that he has done in the past few months for WCW, like all that shit in November and December, it's just been constant bullshit. That you know when Piper comes out, it's like, oh fuck, here's here's more bullshit. That's never going to pay off at this point. Yeah, it. The the problem is because of what they've done, especially in the last few months of Russo. Nothing has any real sort of stakes or even any sort of real consequences because they redo the same shit or flip-flop the same shit all the fucking time. That There's no investment. And the thing is, we can look at this card and going into next month's show, it will be random match generator because I can guarantee that probably other than maybe Jeff and Sid none of these feuds are going to continue it will just be another fucking pick this one from this match this one from this match put that together this from here this from there put that together there's there's just no there's no 
direction. There's no drive. There's no forward thinking. And this has all been since fucking Russo and the bullshit of let's just grab shit, throw it against the wall, see what sticks every week. Yeah. And yeah. And it has now it's now the thing that WCW has now become. Uh, there is there's just no rhyme or reason for any of this shit. I will take those as your closing thoughts, but we still need a score rating uh, if you dare to tread into those waters. So James Brown gets it <laughs> half a point. Yeah. Vampire and Kidman gets it a quarter of a point. And Nostalgia Hogan gets it a quarter of a point. But the rest of it takes the point away, so it gets a big fat fuck all. Wow. Wow. That's big. That's big news. Those are rare in, in these uh in these shows. I don't think I don't think the show is quite as bad as November to remember because and the loyal listener which you know which year we're talking about. Uh, just because that show left me angry because I felt like there was a company on the rise with a lot of potential, and in one night they kind of set themselves back six months. I think I'm completely unsurprised at this point that this is the offering that WCW puts out, and I'm frankly excited to see how they can top it. Uh, I think this show, just for posterity's sake, gets a 1.5 out of 10 from me. It's not the worst show ever, but it deserves to be in the conversation. WCW, I challenge you to top it. Uh, in the coming months and if you happen to turn things around and you become entertaining again boy i'll welcome that all the more chris lacy we will get back to covering our regularly scheduled wcw news notes nitros occasional thunders and pay-per-views next month in march but for now i will turn it over to you as we close the book on a, an unfortunate february 2000 in wcw so, it is that time where I have to thank you and obviously our already departed Mr. White uh, for being able to throw this shit together the way that we have this month and so we can get it out to you. And again, you you are a crazy son of a bitch for agreeing to this, but I am so happy that you have taking WCW going forward. Um have you got anything that you would like to share pimp or condone the world for? You know, I think it just, I'm primarily active on Twitter and the, the show account at wrestling 20 YRS. Uh, just keep an eye on that. Uh, we're, we're feeling motivated. We're feeling good. You know, we're going to, I think the three of us, uh, the, the two Chris's and I are, you know, uh, are motivated and there's been a fire lit under us and we want to make the show the best show it can be. Um, we, we may speculate or know uh, what lies ahead for us, but we're going to try to make it as entertaining and listenable as possible. And I do seriously mean it that if y'all think we're missing something here with WCW, let us know and we'll, we'll take a fresh eye to it. We don't want everything to be so glib and negative and defeatist, but we want reason to not feel that way. At Wrestling20YRS on Twitter is where you can tell us if we're missing something and as as i said as well earlier on like if if there are people that want to get on this um you hook us up we're you know we're always looking for 
for new voices, new new ideas and new opinions. You know, bring some light to something that you think is good from from here or there and sort of go, but this is why. And, you know, make us rethink why we think that, you know, putting a knife to someone's throat was a great idea. Good one, WCW. Um, so as you would have probably already heard this month, ECW has already been done. Um, so next month, the Fed has mania. I have living dangerously, and you have sold out. So normal programming will return next month, free shows next month. Again, thank you to Eric for stepping up. Um, thank you to Rory for you know all that you have done over the past few years. Um, see, being a guest originally and then doing the step up and taking the reins with me and Chris and Chris. And yes, we will continue this going forward. We have a couple of the logical endpoints if you know the show is to run its course don't worry they are not anytime soon we will be doing this for the foreseeable future and until next time goodbye